0: The Interchange is brought to you by Jinko Solar, a leading solar panel manufacturer and energy storage integrator. Publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange, Jinko Solar has deployed 100 gigawatts in 160 countries globally, including more than 15 gigawatts in the U.S. As a global leader with strong regional focus, Jinko Solar has a sales office located in San Francisco, California, and a manufacturing facility in Jacksonville, Florida. With over 300 employees available to provide customers with timely local service. Jinko Solar now offers energy storage for a variety of residential, CNI, and utility projects. To learn more about Jinko's Eagle Storage Solutions, visit www.jinkosolar.us.
1: What has been exciting about the past 10 years, say, is the amount of all of the innovation and new ideas that are being brought to solar and to wind and to storage.
2: Right now, everyone's breathing a sigh of relief and looking forward to getting back to addressing our normal challenges in this industry.
3: It's not up to us, right? The solar industry is, for lack of a better word, policy taker or price taker, just like any other industry.
4: Storage is is a very new concept for, for many companies still, many markets. This is The Interchange
0: Recharged. This Friday, we have a very special show for you, as well as some bonus episodes today and tomorrow, because I'm here recording the podcast live at the Solar Energy and Storage Summit in San Diego. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'll be recapping all the action from three days of talks on solar and storage with some of the biggest names in the industry. So keep an eye out for some extra episodes coming your way. On today's episode, we recap day one of the conference. So we're podcasting from beautiful San Diego. We're actually at the Lowe's Coronado Bay Resort. We've got a makeshift studio up here uh, right on top of the lobby with a beautiful view of the bay. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of excitement going on. A lot of brilliant minds walking around, sharing their insights and perspectives on the market. And it's really fascinating to see, and not to say the least, with people being here in person. Uh, for the first time in a long time it's it's good to have that personal interaction with people so look forward for some of these uh, special episodes coming uh, on a daily basis on uh, wednesday thursday and friday and i'm going to go see what other special guest i can uh, bring into our little podcast booth that we have set up and and have an interesting discussion all right, we're just uh, we're just coming out of the first panel discussion of day one, and I'm joined by Chris Seipel, who's vice chairman of our energy transition practice and power renewables here at Woodmac. Chris, how are you?
1: Uh, good morning. I'm doing great. Yeah. First time for me back in person at a conference. So this is super exciting since COVID started.
0: Yeah, exactly. How does it feel? I mean, the, the energy is is pronounced here, but what's, what are your thoughts?
1: You know, it's just like you learn so much more are so much more connected to people when you're back in person like this. And so we had a banquet or a, a welcoming meeting with everybody last evening. And just like the amount I learned about like what's going on in the industry, you just can't get the same thing when you're talking over a Zoom call. So it's been really, really great.
0: So the first, uh, the first discussion, uh, very interesting on regulatory affairs right now as it relates to solar. Uh, interesting times right now given Biden's announcements and, and the DOC investigation. What, what are your takeaways from from that discussion this morning?
1: The solar business has always been a heavily driven policy business, and so policy is super important to its future. And to have this conference just happen to coincide with the day after an announcement from the Biden administration about how they're dealing with this tariff issue was great timing for us and you know the things that I took away from this was that there's clearly a a really strong commitment from the Biden administration to eliminate some of the barriers that exist to the development of solar Um, in particular this tariff issue that has put a pall of uncertainty across the entire industry Um, and you know a lot of commitment as well to address a lot of other issues like developing a more sound industrial policy um, in the United States, bringing back domestic manufacturing capability uh, to U.S. shores for the solar business. So a lot of positive there, but, but still this kind of like you know, unanswered question of, is this going to be subject to court challenge? Um, do we really have certainty around this? Um, while there's commitment from the Biden administration, a lot of what has been proposed will require legislative follow-up. Um, not clear that that bilater- you know, bicameral support exists from both parties to be able to get a bill passed um, that address some of these issues. So it was, it was a big step forward, but it hasn't kind of solved all the issues.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the rest of the conference uh, to tackle a number of these issues because you're right. There's a lot of moving pieces right now. At least some of them are starting to come come into place. What, what are you looking forward to most uh, for the remainder of the conference?
1: Um, you know, the thing that, like, really excites me about the conference is that, in the industry in general, is that the power business has been around for, you know, a very long time, hundreds of years. And it had this very long period where there's not been necessarily a lot of technological innovation in the industry because it's been driven by regulated utilities for the most part. And really what I've I'm most excited about and and what has been exciting about, you know, the past 10 years, say, is the amount of all of the innovation and new ideas that are being brought to solar and to wind and to storage around how to reduce costs, new technologies to be able to get them integrated into the grid. And so, you know, I'm particularly excited to hear about some of the people speak about the innovation that they're seeing. Um, yesterday, we all went to visit a microgrid tour. It's actually the first microgrid that I've ever seen in person. And uh, and it, it also happens to be the first microgrid that has long duration storage, um, commercial scale, long duration storage. And, uh, you know, it's not the long, long duration that we need. Um, that's a term that needs some definition. Um, but this is, this is storage that can operate continuously at its full output level for, I think, like eight to 10 hours. Um, and so that, that's, like, that's an example of like, the type of innovation you know, that we're seeing and that's needed. And I'm, I'm just really excited to kind of hear what companies have to talk about in that area.
0: Yeah, I am too. I mean, if one thing that I've taken from hosting this podcast is that it's all about the progress uh, you know, it's, you're not going to get to the the goal line day one, but it's all that innovation that lengthens the storage, all things like that. The technologies that get developed, and it's interesting to see how far they've come, just even over the past two years.
1: Yeah, and you heard from the panel today, the off, you know, the the Solar Energy Office at the DOE, um, Garrett Nelson speaking about all the different areas of innovation that they're looking for, and it's it's pretty amazing, you know. The 90% cost reduction that solar has gone through over the past 20 years, e- even though we have cost escalation happening, Zhao Jing, who presented earlier, showed the slides that show well natural gas prices have actually increased a lot more than solar's increased, right? And so even though solar's facing increasing cost, it's still very competitive now with conventional generation technologies. And on the panel, we're talking about, and over the next couple of days, all the area for f- additional cost reduction to come into it, like making it even more competitive. Um, so it's, re- it's really kind of, an you know, it's not something that I thought that I would see in this industry 20 years ago.
0: What do you think about Biden's announcement on the Defense Production Act uh, as it relates to solar? Yeah,
1: well, as you heard in the panel today, I think there's just a lot of details that have to be worked out to see what real impact that has. Mo- most importantly, how does this get funded by Congress? Um, and is that support there? to deliver that. But I think, you know, now that this is not just about jobs and bringing back jobs to the United States around the solar industry. This is also, you know, solar has also become a national security issue. Um, And so this combination of national security issues, uh, along with bringing back domestic manufacturing capabilities and the jobs that it provides, um, you would think would provide an avenue to get strong political support, to get something you know done around this um, from both parties, so hopefully that 's what we see, but the you know we'll see what comes over the next well few a lot of
0: activity yeah i mean it 's great, like you said, the timing was really nice with the announcements coming through before this conference, and having everybody talk about it give their thoughts and views on on what the impact's going to be and what it needs to take yeah,
1: that was big headwind to the industry, and I think everybody here is very happy and optimistic about you know having that announcement
0: well it's a good turnout, like I said, I'm looking forward to the the, the next couple of days, uh, another number of interesting guests and discussions to have. So thanks for thanks for joining. Yeah, us.
1: nice chatting with you, David.
0: And Sean Gallagher, Vice President of State Affairs from the Solar Energy Industries Association, has just stepped off the stage from a panel discussion. I'm going to grab him and sit down and uh, get him to share his thoughts with us uh, for the next few minutes. I'm here with Sean Gallagher, Vice President of State Affairs with the Solar Energy Industries Association. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So how does it feel to be back in person with these types of events now?
2: It's great. Uh, As I said earlier, I'm I'm really happy to be back in person. We've done a couple of these events uh, at CEA so far. People seem to really want to be out in public again. I'm happy to get out of the basement, so happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about your role with the uh, SEIA. Yeah, so I'm VP of State and Regulatory Affairs for CEA. So I oversee our state policy work nationally. We work in state legislatures and state regulatory agencies on all matter of issues that affect the solar industry. And then I also lead our federal regulatory team. So all the administrative agency work that we do with Department of Energy, Department of Interior, the White House, you name it.
0: Well, look. I mean, with the recent announcements, I mean, you're probably a highly sought-after person at this conference right now. Uh, given yesterday's announcements uh, from the Biden administration, what are your
2: what are your key takeaways and thoughts about what that means for the solar energy industry? Yeah, first of all, it's really good news. Uh, we really are so appreciative of the Biden administration for what's well, really a creative approach to getting things moving again. Uh, the two-year delay or pause in in potential imposition of tariffs is really what the industry needed to start to get back on track. And I think importantly, the um, cutting off of the potential for retroactive tariffs is really important. And so what we expect to see is uh, the resumption of imports uh, to the US. You know, We've lost a couple of months of imports to the US because of the uncertainty around the potential very, very high tariff application. We've seen projects delayed. We've seen some projects even canceled. Uh, We've seen jobs uh, laid off or delayed. And so we'll start to see not immediately because there's going to be a couple of hurdles to overcome but we'll start to see a resumption in installations and deployment and hiring come back uh, we'll see we will have a loss of solar installation for 2022 compared to what we anticipated you know in the absence of oxen and uh, the absence of petition but we're gonna see the industry start to get back on track and it's a and importantly it now we must pivot to what the long-term domestic manufacturing policy will be for this country. And what that really means is getting the reconciliation package passed. That's got two, or probably more than that, important components. You've got the demand side with the investment tax credit extension, and you've got the supply side with the manufacturing production tax credit. So originally introduced by Senator Ossoff that's in the reconciliation package. We're, for the first time, providing the kind of investment into domestic manufacturing of solar products That we've seen in other nations. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces to the recent announcements uh, with the ITC
0: and getting through legislative approval uh, on the necessary aspects to it. How long do you think it's going to take the industry to kind of get back up and running given these recent announcements? Do you think it can be a quick ramp up, or is there still going to be some concern over? the two-year moratorium, which I agree with you, the, the big key point to that that, we, that you made during the discussion this morning was that it's not retroactive. So I think that releases a lot of anxiety on, on getting some of the production up and running. But how long do you think, given the shortfalls that we're seeing as a result up until now, do you see that some of that
2: start being alleviated? Yeah, I mean, what we're hearing from our members is that the announcements allow them to start to resume imports. Um, Now, as we get closer to the end of that 24-month period, might we see the additional uncertainty arise? I I think we may. Uh, But I think today, uh, and for projects in the next two years, I think the the pieces are in place to allow those projects to get forward. Again, you still got to put product on ships, and you've got to ship them over from Southeast Asia to the US. We're not going to see resumption of deployment. That's why we're going to see some reduced deployment this year compared to what the original estimates or original forecasts would have seen.
0: And how do you see the costs being impacted on this?
2: Yeah, well, you know, we're still in a, in a strange world with inflation. We've got, uh, as the presentation earlier today mentioned, we've seen increased prices for a number of commodities. You know, we know that there are still increased prices for things like shipping containers, right? So all those factors that are not really solar specific are putting upward pressure on price. So in the near term, I think you know we're going to we're going to be in a, a, a bit of a price challenged uh, universe, but. Over, If you look at a couple of years ahead, I think we're going to see the resumption of cost declines for solar. So with the
0: announcements, obviously very good news, as you pointed out, what do you think needs to be done to further
2: the effort? I mean, what would you like to see next? Yeah, I mean, the, the, clearly the next thing, I mean, the Department of Commerce is going to continue its investigation unimpeded by anything else. We, would of course, think that the right substantive answer to that is a negative determination. If you look at the trade laws, What the, the question they're supposed to answer is, is there only minor processing happen, happening in these Southeast Asian countries? And the, the factual uh, answer to that is clearly no. So hopefully commerce will reach that determination in a reasonable amount of time. That's number one. Number two is, as I said, uh, getting the reconciliation package passed with that real investment in domestic manufacturing.
0: And so what, what, what are your key takeaways from the panel discussion? I mean, it was obviously a very robust and timely
2: discussion, but what, what did you take most from it? Yeah, you know, I think um, the last several months has been all trade all the time. Uh, and so with uh, the announcements that we've seen yesterday, I think people are still getting their heads around it, right? Um, what exactly is the Department of Energy going to do with the uh, master supply contracts? What are they going to do with these uh, supply preferences? We're going to work with them and we'll, we'll find out. But I think right now everyone's breathing a sigh of relief and looking forward to getting back to addressing our, every, our normal challenges uh, in this industry.
0: Well, it's good to see, uh, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot about what needs to be done on the regulatory front and a lot of things come out of that, what needs to be done. And it's good to see that it's actually starting to happen. And some things are, are being done to further the adoption of not only solar, but other renewable, renewable sources going forward. So look, Sean, uh, Vice President of State Affairs at CIA, I really appreciate you joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks so much. Take care. Brian White, uh, U.S. solar analyst for Wood Mackenzie, is going to be joining us shortly. I think his insights going to be very interesting, uh, focusing on really kind of the the impact by state uh, in the U.S. and what can be done by individual state governments to help further the adoption of solar energy.
4: Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Great to be with you, Dave. Great to be here with everybody. Yeah. How, how are you enjoying the conference so far? It's been really nice. You know, I, I, it's been two years since I've been out in person at one of these and uh, really my first big wood Mac event too. So yeah, it's just really, really nice. You got to definitely energy in the air and people seem to be really excited to be here.
0: So, look, uh, you know, interesting day uh, so far with the recent announcements. So, wanted to ask you after your presentation you had, what what are your thoughts on the administration's recent announcement, and do you see it impacting any states in the U.S. versus uh, versus others?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone's talking about, right? Is the uh, the executive order from Biden administration? I- I'll say for the residential segment broadly we uh, we're taking a look at the the tariffs how they are Im- impacting each segment residential was a little more insulated in general access to domestic supply you have um, robust demand key relationships with suppliers that kind of keep the market ticking so we were we weren't actually forecasting a, a, a big detrimental drop to the market like uh, some of the utility scale analysts and, and commercial analysts uh, at woodmac have, have been talking about so in general you know this is obviously welcome news because it's you know re- alleviates this uncertainty but you know, they'll, they'll definitely take it. So in, in terms of, of how states might be impacted, though, uh, you know, we, we think about some of these major state markets that installers really prioritize. They know that business is good. I think if the tariffs went into effect, you'd see doubling down on some of those higher margin markets like California, especially running up to um, the, the, the proceeding with the CPCU. I think that kind of brings down that opportunity for some of those more emerging or smaller markets that aren't as developed yet, Installers don't have kind of the footprint there. They're a little less certain that they want to expend their resources, uh, especially in a market that's you know still being developed.
0: Yeah, you, you talked about Arizona and Nevada uh, being in more of a mature regulatory environment. Uh, and, and also, you know, Florida, California, Massachusetts being in a little bit of a question mark with some growth areas in like Virginia and Ohio and and Arkansas. So w- when you look at particularly Nevada and Arizona being in mature and kind of stable environments, what do you think are the key takeaways from them that maybe some other states should look to replicate to help with the the growth of, of solar? Or do you think anyone in particular is doing
4: it best and kind of should almost be somewhat of a model for the rest? The biggest mistake a state can make when they want to kind of move beyond the baseline policy that's sort of kickstarted the market is to just completely scrap that overnight and to say, we're going to completely lower compensation for distributed solar. You saw that in Nevada. I talked about this a little bit in the presentation. Years ago, the Nevada regulators came together and said, "No more net metering." Uh, overnight, the market cratered. And then, the reason Nevada is now a strong market again is because when they reinstated it and they said, "Okay, we can't have full net metering anymore, but we're st- we want this industry to thrive, so we're gonna we're gonna establish a very stable glide path that declines compensation for residential solar slowly over time." installers can look and see, okay, 100 megawatts are deployed, I'm going to have a little bit of a lower rate after that. And then 100 more megawatts are deployed, slightly lower. Over time, you see that that compensation stepping down, uh, providing a stable market. Installers know what to expect. They know exactly what the economics are going to be like, and they know that it's not just going to come in and change you know, in six months. So that is key, and that is very similar to what happened in Arizona as well. A stable step down in compensation over time that installers know what to expect.
0: Where do you see the growth? I mean, obviously, Arizona, you mentioned that in the presentation, that Arizona has seen significant growth over the past couple of years. Where do you see the
4: residential solar market expanding maybe fastest in, in some of the other states? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, again, as I, as I talked about, some of these mature markets are growing very fast. Like you have a lot of demand pulling in California as we await to see what's happening with uh, th- this this proceeding, regulatory proceeding, NEM 3.0. But we do start to see some of these non-traditional markets really creeping up um, that all they really have are retail rate net metering and the ITC. And traditionally, you know, because they've had such low electricity prices, installers haven't flocked there and industry hasn't really grown. But now what we're seeing is, you know, uh, spillover effects from these installers trying to expand their footprint. They kind of know how to navigate these markets a little bit more. So you're seeing states like Virginia, Ohio, Arkansas, low low electricity prices, full retail rate, though, uh, in terms of net metering compensation. And as long as that is sustained, you can kind of allow that market growth to take off in a natural form.
0: Interesting. A lot of, lot of growth opportunities across. But your presentation was very interesting as, as going down by the states and what you're seeing, which is, which is the gist of my questions in terms of, okay, that's very interesting on the residential solar, the, the differences in the states and what's, what's evolving. Um, what is kind of your, I know we're still just early on day one, but what is kind of the most interesting thing that you've heard so far
4: from, from the conference? Mm. You know, I really enjoyed the panel that was led by our, our EVP, Chris Seipel. He had some great policy representatives from SEA and um, the Biden administration. You know, myself focused on some of the smaller scale development, but that was a lot A lot of focus on the large scale development and kind of what is the constraints, right? We talked about the tariffs. We talked about uh, land use constraints, developing on federal lands, uh, how that plays into utility scale development. Um, I also thought the commissioner from Colorado was very interesting, talking about project delays from these tariffs. And um, there's a real, you know, electricity market reliability issue here as these utilities are trying to um, you know, retire fossil generation, replace it with clean energy and renewable or clean energy and, and storage. And they're not able to. They have to really, they're in a pinch. What do you do? We have to keep the lights on. So I thought that was a fascinating discussion. I think it's what everyone's talking about across really the country and the world as we Transition away from fossil generation and, and move more to renewables. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting the the next,
0: uh, particularly two years, because uh, there's a lot that needs to happen. You know, talking to Chris Seipel earlier about uh, the administration's announcement, but all the other factors that are coming into play that need to evolve o- over time. So it'll be very interesting to see that play out. But clearly, a nice step in the in the right direction. Uh, just to see what else can what else can come across. Um, lastly, I'll ask you what uh, you know.
4: Obviously, we got a couple more days left of this, but what are you looking forward to most besides the San Diego weather? <laughs> yeah, can't beat it. You know, day three, day, day two and day three, obviously a little bit more on the storage side. Um, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about some of the use cases where storage is being deployed. You know, I think it's, that's talking about emerging markets and residential solar, uh, storage is, is a very new concept for, for many companies still, many markets. Um, and there's a lot of use cases there. So I'm really excited to hear from developers and equipment manufacturers. Definitely going to check out the, uh, the, uh, the booths over there for on display to see kind of what products are in the market, what's, what's being utilized and, you know, how we can make this transition.
0: Well, great. Well, listen, Brian, appreciate you taking the time after your uh, presentation. Very, uh, very well received and insightful. So thanks for that. But uh, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right. So continuing our day one discussions here at the, uh, the summit, joined by Zhajing Soon, who is Wood McKenzie's global head of solar. Uh, so how does it feel to be back in person to these things finally?
3: Great. There's no other way to say it. Um, I said it in my um, opening speech. It just feels so, so good um, to be back in person. I think it's not only because it has been so long. I feel like there's also a special meaning of meeting in person because there has been a lot of like fault lines in our industry. Right? It has really troubling us in the past couple of years. I personally believe that if there's more in-person meetings, conversations, we can foster a little bit more understanding about each other. And that could help us heal some of the fault lines.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And obviously, interesting discussions this morning with the recent announcements. And you helped kick off the uh, the seminar with Chris Seipel, as well, who we spoke to earlier. Very interesting discussion you had helping to kick it off. What What are some of the key takeaways that you want to let everybody know about from your um, from your presentation this morning
3: yeah there are a number of um, takeaways one is i think like i want our audience to understand there is a short term versus a long term dynamic in play at solar market i feel like as human we have a tendency to focus more on the short term but like neglecting the long term but the short term issue we're facing with is a lot of headwinds right the the WRO that we're facing last year, the high cost, um, the potential ADCVD, it really has been like beating us down for almost 12 months now. But if you're looking at the long-term growth, the fundamental for solar in this country is amazingly strong. There are so many factors, right, like utilities, retirement of coal, po- po- coal-fired power plants, the corporate Buyers, the DG customers' their demand for resiliency, as well as just the long-term build-out of hydrogen and higher penetration of like EVs, as well as um, just like electri- electrification in general, they all create demand for for solar. So our industry is actually looking really strong. If you look past the near-term challenges and think about where we're going to be in three years, where we're going to be in five, ten years, the demand is really strong. And it shows in the latest Wood Mackenzie U.S. Solar Market Insight report that if there is no ADCVD investigation, we are looking at a cumulative 270-something gigawatts of solar insulation in this country. And uh, I guess that goes into the second takeaway is policy really matters. And these headwinds are created by policy, but the long-term growth could also be propelled by policy. Um, one policy I definitely called out during my presentation is the extension of ITC. And I know our audience are all a little tired about this. The Congress in action make us frustrated. And we even feel we just like resign ourselves to fate whatever happens, happens. But like my research um, presented this morning really shows that solar profitability hinges in large part on the ITC extension. If there is a 10-year ITC extension, we're looking at an amazing 10-something years. Um, And there is time to figure out a faster solar cost reduction curve to like continue to extend that profitability profitability period, right? But if there's no ITC extension, in the example I showed, um, a lot of the regions are going to face profitability challenge in five to, to 10 years. And that's not where we want to be. So policy matters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it was very interesting, your presentation from this morning on the ITC credit, because you can look at the difference in the forecasts with the extension of the ITC credit versus versus not. And we talk a lot on this podcast about policy, what's being done and and people's views on what should be done. So given the Biden administration's announcement recently, how do you see that impacting, you know, particularly the short term, uh, as you talk about the differences between the two?
3: Good news. it's like it, there, there's no doubt. It is a good news. Um, even though there's still a little bit of details yet to be ironed out, like when it, when does the two years like clock starts? And people think it's yesterday, but we need to see the the details. And also, is there any? potential court challenges, is the executive order going to survive the court challenge? In my, in my view, it's very positive. Even if there's a court challenge, I think there's strong case to be made um, that the executive order can, can survive. But if we look beyond these short-term uncertainties, once this de- these details are ironed out, I think it definitely buys our industry at least two years. And in this two-year um, ADCVD tariff exemption period, a lot of procurement could happen. And I think it's going to be very similar to how we used to safe harbor um, modules before ITC step down. It's going to create a situation like that. Whenever there is an ITC step down, that safe harboring period will create a huge drive for a near-term spike of the installation, and then it levels off a little bit, and then the... Foundational factors will drive the market to grow again. I think it's likely to be that situation with this White House um, an, an announcement. Um, and I think, like beyond the um, AD CVD tariff exemption, I think the the Defense Production Act is also a really really interesting factor. Even our um, DOE speaker warned us there's a lot of things that need to be figured out even from the government's perspective in terms of how the Defense Production Act is going to be carried out. Where is the money going to come from? What exactly is the government's role, right? Are they buying solar modules? Are they subsidizing solar modules production? They, they, they don't know yet. So that those details need to be um, figured out by, by, the, by the government. But if it moves forward, Um, it's going to create a huge demand for domestic solar manufacturing. I think in our view, at least going to realize the current proposals that we already know is out there in terms of building more domestic solar manufacturing supply chain. And even better, it could accelerate the timeline. If the, the money comes in sooner, stronger, I think we may potentially see a lot more projects that is on the margin could be materialized and they may be thinking about like a little longer timeline. Now with Biden administrations, like there's still two, two more years left. Right. They could accelerate the timeline. So I think unequivocally it's it's good news, but we would love to learn a little bit more details.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. As as with everything government related, the devil's in the details. uh, Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your thoughts on on the Defense Production Act. Because when you look at your forecasts on 2023, obviously the expansion is is muted uh, because of the supply, uh, the supply concerns. So do you see as long as these get ironed out in short order, that that forecast can then expand for 2023? Or do you think that that's a little bit too tight before you'll see a true impact?
3: That's a really good question. Um, Let me think about it. Will it make an impact soon enough for 2023? this is really just my personal opinion. I think it's unlikely to happen just because if we think about um, how how long it takes to build new solar manufacturing plants, um, it's at least going to take a year, right? And we're talking about something start July 1st, and then it's going to be opening July 1st, 2023, and then still have to ramp up and build that procurement relationship with the market. I think it's gonna be, it's it's gonna be a push. Um, but the good thing is, 2023 is already covered with the two-year tariff exemption. So what we're thinking about is beyond that two-year tariff exemption, will domestic manufacturing ready, ready to go? Right. So we're talking about. Um, If the two-year exemption kicks off right now, we're talking about it covers us until June 2024, right? Then the question is, really, by June 2024, will there be enough risk-free, or I should say tariff risk-free domestic manufacturing capacity? In that case, I'm hopeful. I think there will be. There will be significantly more. Um, We already know solar is building um, a a second plant to expand their domestic manufacturing capacity. Hanwha, Qcell announced their plan and almost all major Chinese manufacturers are working on something. some of them are likely to share more details. Some of them are, are, are not. But we know there are a lot of people re- ready to go. You, they used to be waiting for SEMA. But now with the Defense Production Act, if there's more detail that make them feel like there is certainty, I think they're going to jump on this opportunity. Mm.
0: Uh, one of the things I've found fascinating so far in the summit has been just the positive aspect to everybody's views. Uh, and I know everybody's kind of on a high right now because of the recent announcements. And I know the answer before I even ask the question, but is that kind of your take going forward on solar? Because that that is one thing that also surprised me was the insatiable demand uh, for solar. Uh, So going forward, do you you continue to have, I mean, it sounds like you do the positive views of it, but also maybe... uh, Sprinkle in there a little bit views on costs going forward as well.
3: Yeah, um, the cost is high. <laughs> and you know, our forecast is going to continue to be high for for a little bit. Um, the research I presented from our um, U.S. solar um, PV system um, cost research from earlier this year is the cost is going to peak in this year only and not going to return to pre pandemic level until 2025. So that's, I think that is arguably the biggest headwinds. Because it's the result of all the policy headwinds that we're talking about, right? They, they drove up the, the, the cost. So if there are more sensible trade policies, it could help alleviate a little bit of like the hardware cost um, um, headwinds. And just, I guess, more economy of scale in terms of project development and deal, um, DOI, Department of Interior's announcement of um, cutting costs on product development on public lands will also be helpful. So like government is using their bully puppet to try to help th- this industry. So there are hopeful things, but I think like the bigger picture is this global commodity price. It's not up to us, right? The solar industry is like, for lack of a better word, policy taker, just like any, or price taker, just like any other industry. So that's commodity super cycle has to play its own course so that part i see as less manageable by us but what we can do is to learn more about the commodity market and understand the, where the suppliers and who are the suppliers that are more suitable for the solar industry can develop that, that relationship. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but fully acknowledge there's still pretty significant headwinds against us.
0: Well, Jiaxing Sun, uh, our global head of solar at Wood Mackenzie, uh, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, David. I was able to track down another interesting guest today. I've got Donnie Gallagher, who's VP of Engineering at Solve Energy. Donnie, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate your time. It's it's nice. I've been talking a lot about uh, what it's like to be back in person uh, for these types of conferences. And I'll just ask you what I've what I've asked everybody else so far is what's your thought about finally being able to to do these things in person at a at a nice location like we have today.
5: Well, I'm sure I'll give the same answer as everyone else, right? It, it, it's great. And that, that's probably been the, the the best part of the day so far, just getting to see all these folks that I haven't seen in so long. You know, even the, the panelists I was just speaking with, you know, I've known those guys for years, but I haven't seen a couple of them for two years because of COVID. So it, it's great to just be here, actually, see folks in person. It's, it's not quite the same over Zoom.
0: Exactly. I, I mean, there are colleagues of mine that I've worked with for three years that I've never met in person uh, until today. I mean, I haven't waited to. I haven't waited in line for a cup of coffee in a long time. And so I was, <laughs> so I was getting my cup of coffee. So wait, hold on. I'm used to just going up to my machine and getting it. Now I've got to wait. Uh, so a little bit different. Um, what What did you find most interesting from the sessions this morning? What What were some kind of key takeaways that you really latched onto? Um, I mean,
5: I think a lot of folks have you know everyone's had the same challenges over the past couple of years. Um, but what I think is is really great is I think if anything, the industry has improved from these challenges. Uh, I know we definitely spoke about that in in the kind of the innovation session I, I was just on it's um, and I've heard that from a couple other folks here too, but you know you have these supply chain issues, and so it makes us rethink what we've always done, you know um, my team we've looked at how do you redesign things so you could install plants kind of backwards from how we used to because you know we're not going to get modules to the very end of a job so you know how do we design it so they can be the very last thing installed you know we used to hang string wire on it um you can't do that if the modules don't show up but we're seeing that in in all other other parts you know the, the the tracker manufacturers are coming up with creative solutions they have supply chain issues how do you tweak that Um, next tracker has moved some manufacturing to the to the u.s. to help you know reduce some of of the challenges from getting the trackers from abroad Um, and yeah i think it's just really really great seeing how people are taking these challenges and and finding the positive uh, in them and we have you know you heard uh, long g was speaking earlier today they're talking about how they partnered with other uh, module manufacturers i believe JA and Jinko, and they're trying to come to a standard module format for the new 210 millimeter modules and really recognizing that especially with these kind of the turbulent area we're in now um, standardization is just going to help the industry whereas everyone used to have different dimensions for their modules if we can come together and and get more standardized it's just going to help
0: yeah, one of the things that was a takeaway earlier was in light of some of the challenges, like you said, the supply chain issues has been some people move into more of a vertical integration. What are some of the things that uh, that Solve is working on uh, to kind of help overcome some of those hurdles and challenges that, that's facing the industry?
5: Well, kind of like I mentioned, we're, we're really focusing on kind of decoupling um, the phases as you've traditionally had it on a project. Um, you know, you don't need to have... AC underground and before piles. You don't need to have modules up before you do string wire. Really trying to decouple each component um, so it can stand on its own. So when you have a supply chain issue that impacts medium voltage, uh, it's not gonna impact our DC install or, or vice versa, right? We, we have challenges on you know the chip shortage everyone sees. We're seeing that with our um, uh, plant controller we do use for the SCADA side of things as well, and, and how do we, uh, you know, more standardize those plant controllers so we can buy these things in bulk if they are a year or two in advance or projects we don't even have yet, um, just knowing that we'll, we will use them eventually. So, uh, more standardization, I guess, is a long way to come to that conclusion.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's great. I mean, a lot of stuff is being done, and, and a lot of the guests today have talked about. A number of challenges and headwinds that are that are being faced by the industry. Obviously, the Biden administration's announcement yesterday has has helped. It's a step in the right direction. There's a lot of positivity around it. What do you see over the next year or two as some of the biggest hurdles still facing the industry?
5: Well, uh, do me wrong? Fantastic news out of the Biden administration. We're all super happy with it. Uh, you say what are the, some of the challenges going to be? Um, I already know we're seeing it. All of our clients are like, "Great! So we got to keep going tomorrow, right? Like, let, let let's go." And realizing that you know when so much has been kind of put on pause or on the back burner, we can't just pick it up and run, you know, 100 miles an hour again like we were a year ago. Um, and so it, there's going to be a little bit of time to r- ramp back up to the rate at we you know that we used to be at. And I think that's definitely going to be a, a little bit of a challenge. And um, know we've tried to kind of stay on top of that a little bit. And even though we've slowed down a bit, we've kept hiring and training and been trying to take a little bit of the downturn, uh, to our advantage. Right. Let's, let's go back to standardization, standardize some processes and, and train folks up and, and try to prepare for this. We knew this wave was, was coming, but but now the wave's here. And like I said, clients are already calling, you know, all right, when can
0: we get going on my project? You know, <laughs> right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, 10 years from now, where do you see the solar industry? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully 10 years
5: from now, I, the solar industry will be the power industry, and that's that's where I want it to be. <laughs> it's just this this is uh, the I fully believe this is the future. Uh, clean energy is the future, and I think solar has a huge part to play in there. So yeah, hopefully, when we talk about the energy industry in five years or ten years, <laughs> hell, we'll be optimistic. Maybe five years, um, we'll talk about the energy industry and the solar industry as one and the same.
4: I agree.
0: Uh, well, listen, it, I appreciate your time. Uh, this has been really interesting. And, and again, another great discussion from a day that I think has been, uh, very positive. I think I've learned a lot and it's just been refreshing to not only, like you said, see people in person, but just seeing the positive attitude around, uh, around the industry. Absolutely. Well, great chat with you, yeah, David. Thank you. Well, that was day one here at the Solar Energy and Storage Summit in San Diego. A very fascinating day. A lot of interesting guests, topical discussions, and I am getting ready to head off to a steakhouse tonight. I'm going to see if tomorrow I can get our podcast booth set up next to a lounge chair next to the pool. Uh, more to come on that if I'm successful. Tried to do it today, but got shot down, And but I'm going to keep fighting the good fight on that. And we'll see where we're we're broadcasting from tomorrow. Hope you enjoy the episode, and look for us uh, tomorrow with day two recap and interesting discussions. Thanks.